So I'm glad to be in the church of the living God tonight. So uh, I'm gonna continue tonight. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna look at 1 Thessalonians chapter three and we're gonna begin in verse 12. It's Bible study night. Everybody say Bible study night. Amen. I will say this. Uh, you are blessed. Uh, in times past, you'd have to have a notepad or write down scriptures in your Bible and there wasn't a lot of room. I don't know if you noticed in your Bible, there's not a lot of room to, to write scriptures when I read one and you try to connect it to the other one and make yourself a, a Thompson chain, basically, or a chain reference. But you know, if you have your Bible on a digital device, you can put a note in every scripture uh, you can just put a note there and, and just take notes and put scriptures in there. And every time you come to that verse, you hit that note. and You've got notes there from, from uh, messages that you've heard. I think it's very important that you get a hold of what's preached to you every week. Amen. And, and let it live in you. Somebody say amen. So take that opportunity to do that and tonight would be no different I believe the Lord wants to bless us 1 Thessalonians 2, uh, 3 verse 12 uh, begin in verse 12 and we'll go down through verse 13 and the word of the Lord says and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you verse 13 to the end everybody say this is the end He's not talking about the time frame. He's talking about love one another and loving all men to this end. Here's the culmination of that love. To the end, he may establish establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That verse says he wants us at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to be unblameable in holiness. That's a big statement. That says to me, as a people that desire God, we should not ignore the, the, the teaching of holiness. That at the coming of the Lord, Paul said, at that, to that end, the Lord establish your heart unblameable in holiness. Now the New Living Translation says, and may the Lord make your, make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as your, our love for you overflows. And here's what verse 13 says. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father, even when our Lord Jesus Christ comes again with all his holy people. I want to be a part of that holy people. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your presence, Lord, your word tonight. Thank you for the anointed word of God. I thank you, Lord, that it is anointed tonight. And I pray, Lord, it be anointed when it hit the hearts of every hearer here tonight. Touch us tonight, Lord. Strengthen us tonight. Thank you for what you're doing in this church, Lord, pulling us away from worldliness and worldly things. Now, Lord, help us to grasp what it means to really be holy, Lord, to be blameless, unblameable in holiness. Lord, we want to be a holy people. In the name of Jesus, creating us a clean heart. And somebody say, in Jesus' name. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. Now, uh, this is not popular, uh, what we're delving into. And I, I would title this uh, for those that might uh, go on the podcast looking for this lesson in the future. 
uh, I would entitle this the meaning of holiness. Anybody, everybody say the meaning of holiness. The meaning of holiness. Now, uh, this is not real popular because we live in an era where uh, people feel like any, any uh, correction of your life or any dedication of your life or any sanctification in your life is you trying to be saved by works. And so we, we need to understand biblically what holiness is all about. And I think it's very important that we get a hold of that. Somebody say amen. So uh, as we begin tonight, what does holiness mean? Holiness is a, a big deal. It's a big idea. It's, it's very vast. And because of that, it's easy to define holiness in a very narrow way. And we can begin to think that holiness... Uh, is certain things when holiness is a or, or to be holy is a broad uh, subject, a big subject, and because it's so big, it's it's easy to to define it with uh, with very simplistic definitions or explanations and miss the vastness of what the Bible concept of being holy is all about. Now, a couple of weeks ago when I w- uh, preached on Wednesday night, we talked about the Lord purchasing a house. We have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Aren't you glad you've been bought? <laughs> amen. And so, uh, it's, but it's not enough to define this concept of being holy as just, well, holiness means God's nature. That's the nature of God, and that's, that's what holiness is. Or uh, that's very narrow, that's very, that's very one-sided. Or to divine holiness on the humanistic side that says, well, it's, it's separation from sin and dedication to God. And that's, that's, these are true, but they are not comprehensive. They are true that the nature of God is holy and that when he calls his people into holiness, he calls them to something and he calls them from something. That's true. Those things are true. But to focus, and that's what happens, is people begin to focus on one part of holiness or the other and they miss the grand idea. Somebody say amen. So the terms holiness or holy Uh, mean different things to different people. For this reason, there's some degree of controversy about what holiness is, about what it constitutes. Uh, But let's look at the scripture tonight. If we're going to define what holiness is, then let's, let's, hey, (laughs) let's not take it out of some book we find in the library. Let's not take it from some 21st century author that defines it for this culture. Let's take the definition from what God says it is to be holy. Let's start there. In the Bible, holiness is clearly a very significant topic. When I would say to you what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, what would be a sign or maybe the fruit uh, of maybe somebody see that you're a follower of Jesus, what is the first thing that comes to mind when we think about Jesus saying, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. There's, there's, a, def, there's, there's a definite 
a defining uh, uh, thing with God's people when he says, this is the way you'll know they're my people. And that's love. Everybody say love. And so there's a lot of teaching about love. There's a lot of preaching about love. In fact, uh, I I don't know if you could ever exhaust love, but love is a part of God's nature. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can't love like God loves because that's how you get the love of God in your heart. But I want you to realize how significant the Bible uh, subject of holiness is. Uh, the, the Bible uses the word love 385 times in the entire scripture. But the word holy appears 646 times. The word mentions holy more than it does love. Does that mean we should concentrate more on holiness than we do love? No, because you can't throw the bait. We're not talking about one or the either or. We're talking about both and. We're not saying, well, love is the only thing you need to worry about because the Bible almost twice as much talks about being holy. Am I okay? All right. So what does the Bible mean when it uses the word holy? If it uses it almost twice as much as it does love, and that's very important, then this significant topic of holiness, uh, we need to define it in what the word declares Holiness is. So when the Bible uses the word holy, what does it mean? Well, the word, Hebrew word is kadosh, which means pure. Everybody say pure. Pure. Holy means to be pure. Now that's a challenging word, isn't it? The Greek word is hagios. Uh, in our English word, the English word holy is derived from a German root word, how. Anybody ever heard that? You've read, uh, well, surely you have. If you've watched uh, any videos about World War II, you've heard Heil. And they were saying that to a person. That's where we get the words whole or health. In fact, that German word Heil is an expression that means health or happiness or good luck to that person. So when they said Heil Hitler, they were saying good luck or an expression of health or happiness or, or worship unto that. So, uh, But there's a deeper root of the German word Heil as the Hebrew word Halal. In fact, that word in the Hebrew literally it means to shine as a halo. Halal. It's where we get the word hallelujah. <laughs> it means to shine. Everybody say to shine. The Lord wants you to shine. In fact, he said it, didn't he? A city set on a hill cannot be hid. A man lights a candle and he does not put it under a bushel. If the Lord lights you up, he wants you to shine. He doesn't want me to be embarrassed to be a child of his. He doesn't want me to be embarrassed about holiness. Somebody say amen. And by this we see that holiness encompasses an idea of wholeness. Everybody say wholeness. It's not just, well, it's, it, well, it's a dress or it's hair or it's sleeves. That, that, and, and we'll get into all that. But, but holiness, the, the encompassing subject is about wholeness. Being pure inside and out. <laughs> Somebody say amen. 
So what does it mean to say that something or somebody is holy? This person is holy. That, that is holy or this thing is holy. That's, that's an interesting concept because uh, we're very uncomfortable saying that is holy. But the scripture in Genesis 2 verse 2, look at this. And on the seventh day, you know what happened on the seventh day, don't you? God ended his work. He got done with all of his work. That's a good thing, isn't it? Isn't it great to have that seventh day? <laughs> That's right. Work's over. Okay. Well, maybe you just want to work all the time. I don't know. But the Lord loved the seventh day. He enjoyed it when he ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had made. Verse 3, and God blessed the seventh day. He said, oh, bless you, seventh day. (laughs) I've been working hard. Bless the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Now the New Living Translation says, verse 3, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. The seventh day was holy. what it says six days were set aside to do all the labor common work and there's nothing wrong with common work it doesn't mean all the other six days are bad but it does mean he set apart a seventh day he set it apart and said it's holy so that means time can be holy The seventh day, that 24-hour period, which was the seventh day, God said, that's holy. That tells me that time can be holy. I do not believe I'm wasting time when I'm in the house of God. I don't believe I'm wasting time when I'm in prayer. I don't don't believe I'm wasting time when I'm spending time with the Lord every day. Time can be holy. Now, time also can be common, but time, there are some times that are holy. Somebody say, time can be holy. And the Lord said, keep it holy. The people had to cease from their work and turn their attention to God to keep it holy. Notice, to keep that day holy, they had to cease from all their labor and they had to focus on God. The day was holy because of what they were focusing on. It is not that the other days are evil and it's bad to work. No, I want you to take some time and focus on me and that's what makes this day holy. Separated. Look at Exodus 3 verse 4. So we first know that time can be holy. Let's look at Exodus 3 verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, and this is Moses and the Lord having this conversation. Moses has been 40 years in the wilderness and God speaks to Moses. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. Anybody remember what verse 5 says? (laughs) He says, draw not nigh hither, but don't come too close until you do something. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now we just heard that time can be holy. Here we see that a place can be holy. You say, well, this, this is nothing but brick and mortar and, and, and sheetrock, and that's true. But when you dedicate something to be set apart, even ground can be holy. It's in your Bible. Grant time is holy 
and ground is holy. It doesn't mean other places are evil. It doesn't mean this corner's the only holy place and the lake is horrible. Uh-oh, I thought I'd have an aisle runner or two. Maybe I should try this. It doesn't mean the golf course is unholy. It doesn't mean the horse pen is unholy. It just means it's common. Those things are common. I should not try to make holy something that is common. So I'm not gonna put more emphasis on my horse barn or my golf score. This is a place that's designated holy not because of a special building but because it's set aside for worship unto the Lord. That's why. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Yes, a place can be holy. Absolutely. A place can be holy. The Lord said it. This ground is holy. I wonder if we could find that ground on a GPS. Why was that ground holy at that moment? Is it still holy? I'm not sure if it's a place where sheep are fed or grazed. I don't know what's there. I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's where a city is now. Maybe it's a highway runs right over it. Where the Lord said, this ground is holy. Is it still holy? Well, at that moment it was. Because that ground was set apart for a special relationship between God and Moses. He said, this is where something special is going to happen. Am I okay? Now, this is very, very important. What, what made these things holy, time and property, it was because God was there. That's what made it holy. It's because God his manifested presence. You say, well, God is everywhere. Well, that's right. We could all get in the bus right now and go to the Red Dog and all walk in and take over and start singing, uh, everybody will be happy over there. <laughs> take over the whole place and feel God. You know why? Because we're there. God's everywhere. He's right now at home with somebody watching John Hagee. That's right. He's everywhere. Everybody say he's everywhere. But his manifested presence, he wants to show up somewhere. He wants somebody to feel him and reach out to him and hear him and talk with him. That's what made this place holy, this time and this place. So God is continually described as being holy all in Scripture. He's always, in fact, holiness is described, uh, ascribed to God so frequently in the Bible that we can conclude this, that holiness is a fundamental attribute of Almighty God. It's what He is. In fact, the Bible says God is kadosh. That means God is pure. There is no darkness in Him. He dwelleth in the light, John 1 says, that no man can approach unto. He's holy. Everybody say he's holy. 
In fact, if you were to, uh, like, like Paul, he didn't even identify himself. He just said, there's somebody I knew, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. I don't want to beat the drum and have a parade about it. Uh, he said, just, just know that somebody was called away in that third heaven, and I heard things that I can't utter. And John was one that, that got a glimpse of what's going on. These two men, by what they wrote, and they evidenced what went on in that place, we find that the angels, when they are in his presence, they do not say uh, the triple greeting for Almighty God. They do not say love, love, love. They do not say faithful, faithful, faithful. They do not say provider, provider, provider. They do not say healer, healer, healer. But they do say holy, holy, holy. That's the thing that is attributed to God in heaven tonight. The angels want us to know that he's holy. Oh, come on, let's clap our hands to that holy God. It's what he is. It's what he is. Everybody say that's what he is. There's no sin in him. There's no darkness in him. There is no variableness, the Bible says, nor shadow. That's awesome. That tells me God knows what he's doing. Everybody okay? So that, that word kadosh means he's separated from all that's unclean and unpure, impure. He's, he's totally separated from anything that's unclean. It is God who establishes the boundaries between what is holy and what is unholy because if God is pure and is totally separated from everything that is unclean or impure, then where does that leave us? Where does that leave you and I? How many would say tonight without raising your hand, I'm not quite as pure as I'd like to be? <laughs> right. Just grumble if you feel that way. <laughs> so none of us is exactly like God. We're not that holy. I don't care how long your hair is, you're not that holy. I don't care what movies you don't watch. You're not that holy. I think sometimes we think we are. I believe in all that. I believe, you, hey, that's why I don't have a mullet tonight. I was raised when mullets were popular. I don't have a mullet tonight because you get that hair off your collar. You need to have short hair. You're a man. You need to have short. The Bible says it. It's a shame for a man to have long hair. Well, we can gripe about it and carry on and say, oh, that doesn't mean that anymore. Just rip that page out of your Bible. But just because I have short hair doesn't mean I'm like God. Just because I have long hair doesn't mean I'm as holy as he is. Oh, I'm holy. Well, why, why are you holy? Well, I'm holy because I dress this or I do that. No, 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 no. None of us. None of us. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's talking to me because I think they probably are wondering. He's talking to me. None of us are exactly like God. Every one of us falls short. Every one of us have selfish motives, bad attitudes, say or do things that we know is not pure. So, uh, 
So derived out of the idea of perfect divine purity is the concept of being set apart or separated. We're not like God, but but something happens when we are born again. In other words, because God is absolutely pure and we are not. He is separated from us and thereby He is different from us. Aren't you glad God's different from you? In fact, turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm sure glad God's different than you. Maybe that's maybe we shouldn't talk to each other so much. Maybe we should just maybe we should tell the Lord, Lord, I'm glad you're different than me. Amen. Lord, I'm glad you're different from me. Man, isn't that the truth? <laughs> In fact, some Hebrew Bibles translate the word kadosh, which we've talked about being, being mentioned as pure. Another translation is different, different, different. I was reading, uh, help, I'm just going to take a little bypass here just a minute. Is this okay? I'm going to take a little bypass here. I was reading in Exodus chapter 12 about the blood. And Israel told, was told to take a lamb and, and kill it and put the blood on the doorpost. And, and the Lord tells Israel that, that, that this night the death angel or the destroyer is one translation used. The destroyer is going to pass through. Somebody say amen. amen. And, and the translation, the, the wording is uh, that, that the Lord sees the, the blood on the doorpost. The inference is that the Lord says, I will keep away the destroyer. So it looks like God and this destroyer, we know that's the death angel. That's the destroying angel. And the Lord said, I will, I will keep the death angel away from your door. The translation really means that when the blood is on the doorpost, the translation is that it's not God outside keeping the death angel away. Way. The, the translation is he leaps through the door. It's like God steps out and says, no, not this house. <laughs> There's a difference here. Not this house. Go to the next house. And, and, and what a great way to understand what the blood does in every believer. It's like the Lord says, no, they're not perfect and they're not holy like I'm holy, but not this house. They got the blood on their doorpost. Something happens when you're born again of the water and of the Spirit. You become a holy people. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord right now. You're different. You're different. So the instant a believer begins earnestly pursuing God, he or she will begin to be different from the world in which they live. Don't be afraid for God to make a difference in your life. Am I okay? I, I know it's a struggle to say, well, I want to fit in. No, the minute you say, I'm following the Lord, He starts making a difference. It may be very subtle at first. You've seen it. People don't even know what they're feeling and they experience the Holy Ghost. Some old saint of God wants to come and get them all mature the first day they're born. <laughs> they want them to go to Logan's and eat ribeye the day they're born. <laughs> Yeah, and they don't even know what they're feeling. They're just glad. They know they're different. They don't know how they're different. We all know it's going to get even more different than this. But they don't even know that. Let them enjoy just feeling different. Somebody say amen. And so the instant a believer begins to follow the Lord, they become different. Different. 
You say, well, wait a minute, when did that happen? I'm going to tell you in my own life, I won't tell you when it happened. When I, I was a late bloomer, I didn't get the Holy Ghost till I was 12. Everybody else, I think my sister got the Holy Ghost the day after she was born. My little sister, I'm not sure she has the Holy Ghost even today, but no, I'm telling you, that's a joke. Yeah, she got the Holy Ghost. So I, but I, you know, everybody else had the Holy Ghost. I was this late bloomer, and I'd go to the altar just about every service, and there was these two twin elderly widowed ladies. Well, I'm not sure they were widowed. They may have even been old maids, which I think is different than widows, isn't it? What is an old maid exactly, Joyce? Never been married. Man, that's a, there's nothing wrong with never being married, but old maids makes it sound like, you know, Something terrible. Let's come up with a new name. That's our, that's our job for the next month. Come up for a new name with a, for Old Maid. Glorious Maid. Thank you, Amy. Because <laughs> there's some things worse than being single. Oh, well, I'm not teaching that lesson tonight. I will say, though, I'd go to the altar and these two old, I think they were old maids. One of them may have been a widow and the other an old maid. I'm not sure, but neither one of them were married, but they had the most horrible breath I think I've ever smelled in my life. For a kid, that's a big deal. You know, don't be screaming hallelujah in my face with breath, with chronic halitosis. Just say hallelujah. (sighs) I remember... I'm thinking now, just right here, I'm thinking now, that, that's probably why I couldn't get, didn't get the Holy Ghost. I, I was right at the door, and all of a sudden, that old maid said, Hallelujah. Oh, back to earth. They'd pray with me and pray. I mean, there'd be nights I'd pray, and, you know, the music would quit, and people be leaving. I'd still be praying. They'd, oh, don't give up. Come on, seek the Lord. And, and then I'd finally get wore out and tired and go home. But you know what? I, I noticed that even, now I got the Holy Ghost in the baptistry on, in the month of March in 1976. I remember that specifically. But I want to tell you something. When I began to pursue God, even before I was filled with the Spirit, God began to make a difference in my life. Now, we're not, we're not talking about all of a sudden one, one day that all of a sudden you just hit a wall. And not, no, even before, when you are drawn to God, he starts making a difference in your life. Even through repentance, he begins to make a difference in your life. So don't be telling people, well, you don't, you're not born again in the Spirit, so you don't know. No, he makes a difference even when they come, when they decide they're going to pursue God. They may be sitting in their house and say, you know, I think I'm going to read the Bible. Do you know that when that journey begins, a difference is being made in their life? I want to celebrate that. I want to celebrate that. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. So, I want to make sure, let's look at Proverbs 20, uh, 15, verse 24. Uh, none of us are like God. None of us, everybody say, I'm not like God. But look at this, Proverbs 15, 24. The way of life is above to the wise. The way of life is in a direction to someone that's wise. It's above. They're looking above. There's something higher than this. And the Bible says, Solomon writing, the way of life is above to the wise that he may depart from what is below. That's hell. 
So if you keep your eyes below, you're just going to end up where below is. To go higher, you have to desire what is above. And that's what happens when God begins to draw you and you begin to repent and say, Lord, clean up my life. All of a sudden, you start looking at something that is above you. I'm not like that, but I'd like to be like that. I'm not faithful, but I'd like to be faithful. I can't quit cussing, but I'd like to quit cussing. I can't quit doing that, but I'd like to quit doing that. All of a sudden, God starts making a difference. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So in our text that I read tonight, when Jesus comes, he will be looking for those whose hearts have been established blameless in holiness. Everybody say blameless. So for the next few minutes, there are three things that I want to focus on tonight dealing with holiness. First one, the difference between God's holiness and our holiness. Because he is different than us. (laughs) The second thing I want to focus on tonight, the difference between the holiness we acquire when we are born again and the holiness we express in the way we live. There's a difference. We are made holy when we're born again. But we express that holiness in the way we live. And that's very important. Third thing, the difference between external, everybody say external, and internal holiness. Amen. So I'm going to go real quick. Is that okay? So go real quick with me. Let's talk about God's holiness and our holiness. Our holiness in the human realm Uh, Holiness, that's what I'm talking about. When I talk about our holiness, I'm talking about in the human realm. Holiness can be thought of as the attributes of God manifest in the life of the believer. Let me give an example. A person that's born again, maybe they were unfaithful in the way they lived, but once the Lord comes in, He makes them faithful. Oh, they used to, you know, they used to live a certain way, but when the Lord comes in, all of a sudden, the ways of God are manifest in their life. They don't feel the same attractions. Am I okay? In fact, David described this difference. He said, our holiness, you know, us trying to be good and all of that. And really, when we talk about human holiness, we're talking about the attributes of God manifested in my life. Let me give an example of that. Uh, Psalms 18, verse 30. Let's look at this. Uh, The first verse, in verse 30, he says, he wants you to know he's talking about God. Everybody say God. As for God, what about God? His way is perfect. Everybody okay with that? All right. The word of the Lord is tried, and he's going to describe what he means. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He's a buckler to all those that trust him. For who is God save the Lord, or who is a rock save our God? He's describing what he just said. As for God, his way is perfect. What about us? Look at verse 32. It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. Look at that. He said, as for God, his way is perfect. But when he comes into my life, he makes my way perfect. I was staggering around, didn't know which way to go, but God's way is perfect. And when he introduces himself to my heart, he begins to make my way match his way. David said, God's way is, my way is being made. So God does not have to be made into anything. God is. God's way is perfect. We, however, need to be made. 
God's way is perfect. Our way needs to be made perfect. Listen, young man, old man, young in God, old in God. Listen, don't ever stop allowing God to make your way like his way. He wants to do that. It disturbs me. Uh, I heard somebody say it one time. It's much easier to crown a king than it is to raise a prince. Do you understand what that means? Okay, let me give you an example of what that means. To crown somebody king here tonight and say, you've got it. You understand it. You're holy. That takes about 30 seconds. But to make a prince into a king, that takes years. Because a prince doesn't know how to act like a king. You can crown somebody king in 30 seconds. It doesn't take long to have a coronation. It takes a lot longer to raise a young man to be a king. We have that dilemma in the church. It's easy to crown people holy. And what I'm saying is, it'd be a lot easier for me as your pastor. It'd make my job easier to put up the 10 things you need to do to be holy. And then you could do all those things. But it's much harder for me to say, I cannot keep up with uh, technology. I can't keep up with the cell phone. There's unholiness everywhere. We have to make new rules every month to keep you holy. It's much more difficult to say, why don't you allow God to make your way like his way? Huh? Uh, Well, is this right or wrong? I don't know. I've never heard Brother Gene preach about that. You know what? The Bible doesn't say anything about smoking weed. Nowhere does it say, thou shalt not smoke weed. Hello? Wouldn't, you, wouldn't it be great if it did? Don't go smoking fatties. No doobies. No blunt ends. Sell your roach clips. Thou shalt not get high. There's some things you just need to say. Now, Lord... I know the Bible's not explicit about this, and I looked all over and can't find the word weed in the Bible. But you know what? I want my way to be your way. I want you to make me what you are. Man, that's a lifelong, that's a lifelong journey. Holiness is not a destination, it's a journey. Because David said, as for God, his way's perfect. Now he's making my way perfect. Anybody know anything about David that would have made him unholy? I mean, even Lynn knows that. (laughs) Lynn's like, that dude was a loser. But David said, make my way like your way. Somebody say amen. Our holiness. We must think of it in two dimensions, positional or applied. Positional has to do with my position before God. And when I came to the Lord, I was weary, worn, and sad. 
but he took my sins away. (laughs) I've seen people uh, loaded up, drunk in the altar, and the Lord fill them with the Holy Ghost and sober them up. At that moment, they are holy before God. I baptize people that... (laughs) Hello. I baptized one woman. I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have declared her holy. She come out of the water and started rubbing, all, rubbing the water, throwing the water up in her hair and rub, you know, doing all this. And I'm kind of backing off like letting the ladies take over. I, when she finally got done, got dried off and come out of the bath, I said, what in the world were you doing? They lived in a bus. I went to their bus a old school bus they bought. I went to their bus and went in their living room. It was boat furniture because it was light, lightweight. They could drive to the next place, plug in and stay for however long they wanted. I'd go in their little bus and teach them a Bible study. And they came to get baptized and God filled them with the Holy Ghost. That lady come out of the water and she looked like she was taking a bath. I said, what were you doing in there? She said, what do you put in that water? So if you didn't notice, there's dust and spiders and rust. And <laughs> no, you put something in there, perfume or softener or something. I said, oh, no, there's nothing in there. She said, well, I don't know what you put in there, but I feel as clean and as new as a newborn baby. She said, I'm just so amazed. I, can't, I don't understand what you put in there, but feel my skin is so soft. Well, you know what she was feeling? She was feeling what it feels like to be holy. To be new. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. When you're born again, I want to tell you right now, I'm closing. When you're born again, you are declared holy. You stand before God holy. How many know you're, you've been born again? You know that tonight. I want to tell you something. When you're born again, you still think and act in many unholy ways. But by an act of God, you are washed. You are declared by God in a position of being holy. Whole, healthy. Okay, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about that in a minute. I'm sorry, it's going to take a little longer. Uh, we just had, we got Miranda's fixing to be delivered. Praise God, we've been praying for her deliverance tonight. She's fixing to be delivered. Taryn just was delivered. She experienced her deliverance. We thank God for that. Wonderful little baby girl. You know what? I, I don't know anybody grab that little baby girl in that bassinet and stand her up on her little wobbly legs and, sit and, and let her go and let her flop in the floor and say, well, what's wrong with her? What in the world is wrong with her? I mean, she's got legs. Those legs are to stand on. She's very unholy. She does unholy things in her diaper. Godless things in her diaper. Things that other people know not to do. But if that child is whole, that child is selling count their fingers, check their toes, are they breathing okay? Oh, look at what we got. And that's exactly what happens when you're born again. The Lord says, oh, you got a lot to learn, but I pronounce you healthy. I pronounce you whole. Is anybody glad you've been born again of the water and of the spirit?
He called you holy. He declared you holy. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Okay. Second thing I was going to focus on, difference between God's holiness and ours. God is holy. He makes us holy. Second thing, the difference between the holiness we get at the new birth and the holiness we express. Holiness by the new birth and holiness that we express. Look at this. Hebrews 12, 14. The Lord declared you holy. Turn to your neighbor and tell the, say, the Lord declared me holy. That means set apart, different. You've been called out of darkness. Okay. But look at this, Hebrews 12, 14. Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That says you must pursue holiness and you must perfect holiness. So yes, God, you feel with the Holy Ghost. You've been born again of the water and the spirit. He says that person's holy. But moving from that, you must pursue holiness and you must perfect holiness. You can't say, well, God declared me holy. And I got, I got red man in this pocket, skull in this pocket, Marlboro's in this pocket, and doobies in this pocket. So if God said I'm holy, then all that's okay. No. He said, that's my child. <laughs> but now I want you to pursue holiness, purity. I want you to pursue purity. Perfect purity. Look at Romans 6, 22. But now, everybody say now. That's right, this is what happened when you got the Holy Ghost. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have built, you have your fruit unto holiness. Look at that. Galatians 4, 19. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Look at that. These are believers. And Paul says, yes, you've been born again. But I'm praying and travailing that Christ be formed in you. He wants you to to allow him to do something in your life. Okay, the last but not least, I said let's talk about outward and inward holiness. Let's talk about this. Because I want to tell you, I sit down down to eat with people that say, uh, you know, we we shouldn't do anything to be saved by works. We should... We shouldn't, you know, you were saved by grace, and that's all. That verse says nothing else. You were saved by grace. That's all it says. And we know that's not right. But that's where they put the period. The period's not there. Through faith is a very important phrase. Okay, well, anyway. So, so I, you know, you have this dilemma with people in, in Christianity today that say, well, yeah, you know, the Lord accepted me as I am, and I'm just okay with that. I, you, there's no desire in, in some people. I should, for, I should be careful as I go through this. There, it, 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 it's a discouragement sometimes to see people that claim to be Christian that never voice a desire to be more like the Lord. In fact, they look for ways to be more unlike him, I think. 
Let's talk about outward and inward holiness. When a person commits to pursuing a life characterized by biblical holiness, he is making a sacrificial offering to the Lord. When I say to God, Lord, I don't even know what it means to be pure, but I want to be pure like you are pure. When I say that to God, when I pray, Lord, make me holy as you are holy. Lord, purify my heart and my mind. When I'm doing that, it's going to take a sacrifice. A sacrifice. Uh, The Lord may ask you to do some things that you're not, you may not be comfortable with. In fact, one of the first worshipers that was a man of faith, uh, in fact, let's characterize all men of faith by our father Abraham. What was he asked to do? He was asked to take his boy to the mountain called Moriah and offering there. You know that God didn't want Isaac. God didn't want Isaac. He wanted Abraham. He's not bloodthirsty. He's not wanting men killing their sons. Who did God want? He did not want Isaac. He wanted Abraham. But he asked him for Isaac because he wanted Abraham. So God may ask you for some things because he wants you. I don't know if I can give that up. Well, hey, whatever your Isaac is, it's not an issue of Isaac. It's an issue of who is your God. Somebody say amen. So what we offer to God must be willingly giving. If, If holiness and living holy is a sacrifice... Amen. What we offer to God must be given willingly from the heart. Look at this, Exodus 25, verse 2. And I, I'm, oh man, I got to hurry here. Exodus 25, 2. Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Everybody say an offering. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. Look at this. Don't take my offering from somebody that doesn't give it willingly. Did you see that? Look at that. Every man that offers it willingly, that's who I want to give. So people that say, well, I got to give because I'm supposed to give. Or I got to give because the Lord said to give. Or I got to give so the Lord will give me something back. That's not being, it's not even registering. The Lord said, my offering is somebody that gives willingly. You got to be able to give willingly. Holiness is a life saying, Lord, my life is yours. And I don't begrudge it. I'm not doing it so you can make me something better. No, I'm giving it willingly. Somebody say amen. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. How? Not grudgingly or of necessity. For God, what? Now we quote this for the offering, but this is not just about the offering. This is about don't make somebody come to the altar. You don't make people serve God. Oh, I'd like to make them. I'd like to stand out there and make everybody serve God, but you can't do that. The, the, God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody that doesn't do it grudgingly and somebody that does it not out of necessity. In other words, when the Lord says, give up your basketball, and I say, oh God, it's really hard. Oh, does he love that? No, he loves a cheerful giver. Give up your pornography. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. No, he loves a cheerful giver. Give up your anger. Oh, I'm just born. No, you're not born that way. You've been born again. 
You've been born again. And he wants you to be a cheerful giver. And that doesn't just have to do with your pocketbook. I'm glad to give this to you, Lord. I'm honored to give this to you, Lord. That's what holiness is all about. Giving your life to God. I don't know if I want to serve God. He may make me shave my mustache. Well, hey, let's talk about it. You got facial hair all over this building. I mean, look at all these unholy fellows. In fact, when you read the Bible, it says more about taking care of your beard than it does prohibiting a beard. Uh Uh-oh. Anyway, let's not talk about that. Well, the Lord may tell me to get rid of my glasses. I can't see without my glasses. He may tell me to give up my fishing poles. I want to tell you there's nothing more important than having God smile on you. Nothing, nothing, nothing. So, Lord, whatever it takes. I remember a generation that said, Lord, whatever it takes to draw closer to you, that's what I'll be willing to do. Holy people. Somebody say amen. Okay, I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. God is just as concerned about why we do what we do as he is about what we do. I'm going to say that again. God is just as concerned about why we do what we do as he is about what we do. Somebody said I was preaching in a meeting a few months ago and you know sometimes I don't want to do it. In fact, I go back to my room and put my head under a towel and say, God, why did I do that? I don't want to, you know, upset the apple cart, but, but I said something a few, you know, camp meeting here a few weeks ago about word share. Now, most of you don't know what word share is, but it's a, it's a site where people go. You got to have certain credentials. You got to be a preacher and then the preachers can get on there and talk about preacher stuff. And it is a sick testimony. People talking about one another. People calling each other names. Men called of God. Preachers of the gospel. Pastoring churches cussing each other. It's sad. It's sad. But we're holy, aren't we? Pure. Set apart. Now, Lord, make me what you are. See, when we talk about outer and inward holiness, God is just as concerned about why we do something as he is about what we're doing. Well, nobody else heard it. It's just preachers. I don't care who it is. You don't talk like that. Am I okay? Bible, gossip is a sin just like, just like fornication is a sin. Are you getting this? We're talking about being holy. We're not talking about just having the top 10 sins that we're going to stay away from. I'm talking about what you say on your social media. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about lies that you propagate and say, well, I want to be like, well, listen, it's very important that we understand God is concerned about why we do what we do. When the Israelites offered an animal sacrifice to God, they were both external and internal elements. Listen to this. Listen, do you remember... uh, Lord, I should have just started with this and been finished. I'd have been finished by now if I'd started here. 
Somebody help me now. I need your help. When the Lord got fed up with Israel, there were some things he said to them. He was fed up. He said, I'm done with you. I'm sick of it. And he talked to them about what they were still doing. And I'm trying to couch it in a way where you can understand where I'm going. He talked to them about the tabernacle and what they were doing. And he talked to them about their sacrifices. What did he say about their sacrifices when he got fed up with them in Malachi? He talked about, I'm tired of it, I'm done with you. Uh, even your sacrifices. He, he, he mentioned something. What did he say? Anybody remember? They stink. They stink now. They used to be sweet to me, but now they stink. Well, they were still doing the outward stuff, right? I still got my hair and my skirt and all this. And the Lord said, you're still doing the outward stuff. But what makes it stink is you have left what happens internally. Because at the sacrifice, Sister Norma, there were two things. Yes, the sacrifice was important. That was external. Everybody saw that. Everybody saw that. You brought that lamb up there and you offered it, killed it in the blood and all that. Yeah, you see that. But what you don't see is the heart of the sacrificer. Who's supposed to be up there saying, this is the best lamb I've got because my God deserves the best I have. And the Lord said, you kept bringing me offerings, but your heart wasn't there. So that tells me, Sister Shirley, I can keep doing the right stuff outwardly. I don't drink, I don't cuss, I don't smoke fatties. I can keep doing the right things, Matt, outwardly. But my heart's not there at the altar of sacrifice. That tells me there are people here tonight that can say, oh, I'm holy and you haven't even thought about your heart. You've just thought about your dress. You haven't checked your social media page. You haven't checked your rental on Netflix. No. You just want to make sure your hair's off your collar. Oh boy, he's right. Lynn, that's beautiful. Oh boy. She said, oh boy. Everybody say, oh boy. All right, yeah, I got to hurry. Come on to the music. That'll help me know I got to get done here. Without the supporting structure of the inward devotion, the outer structure is little more than a superficial form. Listen, I'm going to say it again. Hey, help me now. What happened? What happened? What happened when Israel offered that sacrifice? Somebody tell me. When they offered that lamp once a year, what happened? What, Frankie? Push back their sin. How long? Until the next Passover, right? Was that important? Oh, absolutely. And the Lord says, I'll have none of your sacrifices. I'm done with it. I'm sick of it. Why would he put aside something that was that important? That tells me that we can get so enamored with the outward that it's the inward that really makes the difference. The Lord shut down the beautiful outward expression when their inward hearts were no longer connected. We can come to church and raise our hands and be thinking about we should have a raise. Lord, I love you. Man, I should have a raise. I don't even know why my hand's up, but oh, my hand's up. Everybody's sitting down. I guess I better sit down. 
We don't even know what we're doing. We come to the house of worship with a holy God and we offer praise to God. I wonder if our heart's connected. It ought to be. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. Okay, outer and inward holiness. Without that supporting structure of inward devotion, the outer became meaningless. Even what rolled sin ahead, God said, that stink, it's over, it's done. I'm tired of it. It doesn't work because your heart's not connected to it. It is possible to have externals of holiness without the internal work of holiness in your life. Somebody say amen. I could read a lot of verses. I'm not going to do it. Uh, but let me get to this one. He told Luke 11:39. Let's look at that one, Casey. Thank you for jumping around with me tonight. Luke 11:39. The Lord said unto him, Now do the, do do ye Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of ravening and wickedness. Look at that. He said that's what the Pharisees do. They clean up the outside of the cup. They wash the outside of the platter, but they don't take care of the inside. Okay. Let's look at Luke 11 verse 40. Very next verse. Ye fools, do not, did not he that made that which is without make that which is within also? Didn't the guy that made the outside of the cup, didn't he make the inside of the cup also? And the Lord said, you Pharisees, you're all worried about the outside of the cup, but didn't the maker make both the outside and the inside? So I close with this. Imagine with me for a moment that you have a very expensive liquid that you would like to display in your house, put it in some kind of vessel or urn or vase or whatever. And you got this idea. I mean, maybe you're artsy kind of a... And you got this idea that it would really look good in one of those old classic Coke bottles of the 1950s. You know what I'm talking about? Those kind that you got out of the machine that you had to slide it out of the... You say, you know what? If I could find one of those old classic Coke bottles, I'd put this beautiful... Now, what makes this liquid so expensive or so precious is that it's unique. It kind of glows and sparkles kind of like like stars, you know, and you want, you want to find a vessel to put it in. So, you know, you're not going to find an old antique classic Coke bottle at Walmart. So let's say you look around, you can't find one. So you go to the dump. You go to the dump. And there you find a pile of old bottles and glass. And you start carefully looking through the junk and the waste and the old busted bottles and every one of them are caked with dirt, mud, filled bugs inside and out. And you find one with potential saying, I think that'll work. And you take it to the proprietor of the dump. You take it to the guy running the place and he takes the dirty bottle. You say, hey, I want this bottle. I've got something I want to do with it. What, what, what is it going to cost me? And the guy looks at him. Oh, this one, it's going to cost you $10,000. What, this is a duck. There's hundreds of them. Oh, yeah, but this one, the price seems ridiculous and unreasonable. 
But you pay the price because that's the bottle you want. You then take that bottle home and you've got a purpose for it. You clean it up. You squirt a little Dawn liquid soap down in the bottom and you get one of those little coffee uh, maker cleaners, you know, that little brush, and you brush out the inside and you clean it up real good and you reach the point where the inside of that old antique bottle is clean and you say, you know what, I think that could handle that beautiful, expensive liquid that I want to pour in there. But you realize that unless you clean up the outside of the bottle... Nobody's going to enjoy the glorious glowing of the inside. After all, your entire purpose for going to the dump, scrounging through all the stuff, paying an extremely high price, your whole purpose for this entire act to obtain this little vessel was just to be able to display that unique material that you had so beautifully gotten a hold of. You know what? This story provides a perfect example of what God did in every one of us. The moment you acquired the bottle, it became holy. Not because it was clean. No, you hadn't even got to wash it off yet. But in your head, you said, this is mine. And I've got a purpose for it. And while you're carrying it home as dirty as it is, you know it's holy. It's special. And that's exactly the way the Lord feels about each one of you. The world may say, oh, you don't amount to anything. But I want to tell you, the Lord says, you're mine. I bought you. Oh, let's love the Lord right now. Come on. Come on, right now, let's love the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you made me special. That you're the one that pulled me out of the heap of sin. Oh, come on, praise the Lord right now. I love you, Lord. The moment you picked that bottle up, it became holy. You know what else? (laughs) It was still dirty. It still wasn't fit for service. But you know what? It was separated from all the other stuff in the junk pile. It had a brand new purpose. It was different. This is exactly what happens when a person is born again. He becomes separated. The separated property of Jesus Christ. He is holy simply because he's been separated from the rest of humanity and dedicated to the purpose of God. This is why Paul can write to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Listen to this. In the next few chapters, he's going to talk about an incestuous relationship in the church. Yes. He's going to talk about inordinate and, and perversion in sexual appetites in the church. He's going to talk about women wanting to be men and men wanting to be women. He's going to talk about misuse of gifts. He's going to talk about how love is the greatest of all. He's going to talk about this to all these people. They've got a long way to go. But look what he says in verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified. Sexual perversion running rampant in the church. And in verse 2 he says, oh, you're holy. 
You're like that old dirty bottle that the Lord says, oh no, you're mine. I'm taking you for a special purpose. Look at that. He said, you're called to be saints. You're sanctified with all, all that in every place. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. But look at 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. This is the second letter. And you know, if you've been in any Bible study I've taught, the first letter, he spanks them pretty good. The second letter, he writes back and says, I hope I didn't hurt you too bad. That's what 2 Corinthians is. Chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Look at what he says. In chapter one, in, in the first letter, in chapter 1, he says, you're holy people. But in the second letter, chapter 7, he says, look, you better start cleansing yourselves. What is God saying to us as a people? Yes, he deems us holy. I thank God for that. I thank God for the Holy Ghost. But I believe the Lord wants us to cleanse ourselves. I believe the Lord wants us to lift our eyes above the things of this world. We're entirely too enamored with the things of this world. Lord, lift up our eyes, Lord, and help us to get a glimpse of you. Would you stand right now? And I just want you to pray, Lord, help me to be made into what you want me to be. In fact, I just want you to join together. Let's pray together all across the pews, reaching over to your wife, your husband, your friend. Amen. Why don't you pray with somebody right now and say, Lord, help us as we pray together. Help us to be made into what you want us to be. We're not concerned about what some other preacher or some other church or even this church. We're not concerned about pleasing men. We're concerned about pleasing you. Help us, Lord, to be holy in all manner of conversation. Help us, Lord, to understand we're going to be judged for every idle word. We want to be holy. Make us what you are, Lord. Lord, your way is perfect, but you're able to make me perfect. Help us to be a church that hungers after holiness. Oh, Lord, don't let us walk into the the streets of this community. Lord, and be embarrassed about being a part of a church that celebrates a holy God. Lord, don't allow us to be taken away by this culture that says we've got to be embarrassed about modesty. We've got to be embarrassed about sexual purity. We've got to be embarrassed about living a godly life. Lord, help us to rise up with boldness, not in arrogance, but with boldness to say, I want to please the Lord. Oh, come on, does anybody want to please the Lord? I want you to make me holy, Lord. Oh, Jesus, make me what you are. Oh, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and just love the Lord one more time. Come on. Lord, I pray this word, God, would find a place in our hearts. Lord, holiness is something you initiate in my life. But Lord, it's also something that I need to desire as you begin to move in my heart. Lord, I pray right now for men to examine their private life. I pray right now for women to examine their private life. Lord, to say, God, I'm not just pleased, Lord, with coming to the altar and offering the same old sacrifice. I want to make sure my heart is in this. I want to make sure this is where my everything is. I love you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. He wants to make us holy. Somebody say amen. What it means to be holy, separated, 
dedicated unto God. Lord, I want to cleanse myself. Somebody say amen. How many want the Lord to cleanse you? That's right. That's what Paul said to the Corinthian church. You've been cleansed by the Lord. And then one letter later, he says, cleanse yourself. Sometimes God cleans us. Sometimes we need to clean ourselves. Examine your life and see where it is that the dirt is and say, Lord, I want to get that out of my life. I want to cleanse my heart. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Aren't you glad the Lord cleaned you up? (laughs) Oh, God bless you. Thank you for being in church tonight. Amen. God bless you. Share the love of the Lord. Greet somebody and tell them we're a holy people. Yes, we are. Amen. God bless you.